Well, I want to welcome you back to session two of this authenticity event concerning baptism. I hope that you've watched and enjoyed session one. We're so glad that you're here and uh, appreciate our panel uh, and all their insights and uh, knowledge about this issue. Let's, let's talk in this session uh, about pre-baptism. Someone has indicated that they've made a decision for Christ, that Christ has saved them. Um, we're now in the position of should they be baptized? How do we handle the preparation for that baptism? Um, and, uh, and what kind of counsel should we give them? So we need to ask the question again. And Dr. Quarles, in the first session, you, you, you said this very clearly uh, in your definition of baptism. But who should be baptized? Uh, let's say that again and make sure that we're very clear about who should be baptized categorically, who should not be baptized uh, categorically. So, so who should be baptized? And then when is someone ready for baptism? What do they need to know? Uh, what do they need to be able to articulate? Uh, and uh, then we need to talk about some methodology probably of how do we get that out of them <laughs> without, uh, without coaching them to the point of, of giving them the answers, so to speak. So Dr. Quarles, any comment about that as far as who should be baptized? Sure. Uh, one of the distinctives of Baptist uh, is based on the Great Commission. We believe in disciples-only baptism because we're to go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them, that is, these new disciples. Uh, so only a disciple of Jesus Christ is qualified for baptism. What does that involve? Well, becoming a disciple involves true conversion. And that consists of repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are tons of New Testament texts that specify that repentance is a prerequisite for baptism. John the Baptist in Matthew 3, repent and then be baptized. And baptism is a means of confessing your sins before God. Same thing with Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, repent and let each one of you be baptized. And repentance of sin involves recognizing your wickedness, uh, deeply regretting your wickedness, and desiring to be transformed, delivered from that wickedness by the power of God and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Faith is likewise a prerequisite for baptism. A number of texts we could look at there, uh, but the one that immediately comes to mind is Philip's baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch says, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip's response is, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Uh, to which the eunuch responds, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, some people might protest to that text because our modern versions will show that it was not in our very earliest manuscripts of the book of Acts. Uh, it appears first in the 6th century. But even if that was not an original part of the book of Acts, it is certainly historical because the first quotation of the Ethiopian eunuch's confession is in Irenaeus at the end of the second century. But all of the early church fathers make it clear. We're talking about Irenaeus, we're talking about Jerome, Athanasius, that faith in Jesus Christ was a prerequisite for baptism. And when and why that changed I'll have to ask Dr. Harper to explain that we can be confident that those are the prerequisites. 
Right. And so let me, this is open to everybody. So this, this, this becomes a free for all. Talk to me a little bit, pastors, about how over the years you have seen and or you have practiced pre-baptismal care, uh, counsel, teaching, etc., in local church life. Um, what, what do you want people to do? What do you want them to be able to, to know? What do you want them to be able to say? Um, you know, in some ministry situations, we see the concept of spontaneous baptism, certainly. Uh, we see this idea of, and, and we've probably all know stories about situations. Often they get attributed to children to where you have vacation Bible school and, you know, we're kind of running them through the water before the week's over uh, to, to baptize them. And, um, you know, what kind of care do we need to have? What kind of processes uh, not only should we have, but do we have? So um, any one of you jump in, but let's, let's talk about what we would actually do. How long does someone need to wait? What do, we, what do they need to be able to know? Those kinds of ideas. So who would like to go first? There you go, Dr. Harper. Well, uh, I don't know that I would want to be overly uh, proscriptive in terms of age. I would really want to keep that open on a person-by-person basis. I believe that we ought to um, exercise due caution for anyone who makes a profession of faith, especially with children, but even with adults, too. And uh, over, well, in the last generation, a number of churches have gone more to what they're calling covenant membership. And there's an emphasis, as Dr. Mann pointed out in session one, on on a different approach to shepherding. And not only from the shepherd's perspective to the sheep, but from the sheep's perspective to one another, to the community, and how we should live together as a, as a Christian community. All that to say, I don't know that you need to rush anyone, male, female, young, old, straight into the waters of baptism. I think you need to evaluate everybody Uh, You can make all kinds of emotional commitments on the spur of the moment and have no idea what you're talking about. So if someone comes to me and they say, I would like to be baptized, I want to ask why. Explain that to me. Well, uh, my friend was baptized. Is there any other reason? Well, no, it just looked cool and I thought I would do that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about sin. Let's talk about redemption. Let's talk about how you become a disciple of Christ. And Dr. Quarles articulated that so well. We baptize disciples. If you're not a disciple, then there's no baptism. With children, when I talk to them, I want them to be able to to tell me what it was that happened to them. I want to know uh, well, you profess Christ. We sing about Christ. I mean, can you tell me more than that? If a child can tell me, yeah, I'm a sinner. Uh, I'm condemned in my sin. My word's not theirs, obviously, but you know, there, there is a change in me. I realize what sin is. I know what sin is, and I know what redemption is, and I've trusted Christ, and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to talk to that child's parents after that because I'm not just going to talk to the child alone. Me personally, I'm going to talk to their parents too uh, because, again, the parents are the primary disciplers. And, uh, And then from there, I'm going to talk to the church about it. 
And we'll do that for everybody that we baptize because we want to live in a holy community with one another. And this is what it means to follow Christ. You know, one of the things, and I just want to say this for the record, hopefully you didn't need to hear what I'm about to say, but with children, make sure, make, make sure that you're not just asking them yes or no questions. You have to ask these open-ended questions to where you make the child explain to you. You know, don't just say, do you believe in Jesus? Do you, you know, would you rather go to heaven than hell? I mean, you might as well just ask them that. But, but ask them to explain to you what does the, what does the cross mean? What, 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 is, what does the resurrection mean? What is sin and what does that mean to you? And allow them to explain to you what it means rather than you simply asking them these simple yes or no questions. Unfortunately, and this is not uh, fic- fiction, it's fact from my ministerial experience, I have known of situations to where churches seem so desperate to baptize people uh, and I, I pray that it wasn't simply for some tote board uh, goal that they had, uh, some numerical goal that they had, that they seemed to be in such a hurry to get people in the water so that they could count them somehow. I, I often say, and again, this is more descriptive than prescriptive, I, I, draw an, I draw a similarity between me performing a wedding and me baptizing someone, and I talk about this a lot. If my name's going to go on a marriage license, that means I've spent time with you. You have shared with me that you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that for me to be obedient to God, I have to marry that person. In fact, I include that in the wedding ceremony. You have to be able to say to me, both male and female, why I believe in obedience, I have to marry this person, that it would be sinful for me not to marry this person. It's God's will for me to marry them. And, and if my name goes on that marriage license, we've spent time together. We've had these discussions together. I treat baptismal certificates the same way. If my name's going to go on baptismal certificates, and, and I've been the pastor of churches that were the top 10 numerically in baptisms in the state in which I served. And so we have seen, I've seen a lot of people baptized. And I've personally baptized hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, I'm sure more than that, people, thousands perhaps in my lifetime. Uh, and so not thousands, but, but hundreds. So, so I've seen the numbers, but each one of those before they went into the water was carefully worked through no rush. And we were, again, if my name goes on that baptismal certificate, I take that so seriously that, um, that we really want to, to be sure about that. What are the comments, Randy? Chuck, anybody that you might have? Well, you know, I think, I mean, I I haven't baptized hundreds and hundreds because I'm not nearly as old as you. That's correct. (laughs) Although you are wearing a similar hairstyle, I have to Well, this is true. But, you know, um, practically, I don't know that at at times I've seen a greater disconnect (laughs) in terms of what people claim to believe theologically and what they desire to practice practically than with regard to baptism. And and what I mean by that is what they would say they believe about salvation, and yet the press for the issue of baptism, whether it be for a child or another person or immediacy, you know, and these kinds of things, they would say, we don't believe baptism is necessary for salvation, and yet there's there's a press for immediacy. 
you know, uh, and this kind of thing, uh, while really all you're trying to do is ascertain their understanding of a biblical view of salvation uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and so I, I appreciate what Dr. Harper and Dr. Quarles said, even with regard to the issue, really the issue is personal faith in Christ. That, that, that is the issue, uh, re- regardless of, again, whether it be a, a younger person uh, or an older person. And that's what you want to, um, you know, really try to be clear about. And even as you've said, I do think there is a sense of pastoral responsibility. Uh, when I take that candidate to the baptistry, I'm saying before God, as best as I understand it, these people are demonstrating uh, fruits that are meet with repentance, um, and, and have exercised personal faith uh, and repentance. And so, and so therefore, by performing that act, I, I'm, as you say, putting my stamp on, I believe that they're walking in a biblical way in that sense. Um, you know, we can talk more about the issue. And, and so let me go back and say, I do um, have a pretty significant, what I would call interview uh, with any candidate, you know, where I'm asking those questions about trying to uh, determine their understanding about um, what salvation is, what baptism is. Uh, I appreciate Dr. Harper's question about why do you want to be baptized? I often start with that, um, you know, because it, there have been more than a few times that the answer to that question has been because I want to be saved. And, and they make a, an immediate and direct tie that I need to be baptized so that I will be saved, whether it would be in a completing sense or perhaps just in a flat out salvific sense. Um, I just heard within the past year, a grandmother say, you know, I really, I really wish my 14 year old grandson would be baptized. He needs to be baptized. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to get him to be baptized. And you know, the question then came, but is he saved? You know, is he a Christian? Has he trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior? Um, you know, I, I would say that I've perhaps some of the most uh, vitriolic response I have received as a pastor uh, over the last 15 years um, has been with regard to the issue of baptism uh, and children. You know, in fact, the question was asked of me uh, where do you get off saying that you understand better uh, about whether this uh, child is truly a Christian uh, than, than them just saying they are, you know, and this sort of thing. I mean, with great uh, vehemence and, and anger and agitation and this sort of thing, when really your, your care and concern, what's, what's prompting this process is, is a love and uh, desire for that child not to, if in fact there has not been authentic salvation experience, uh, not having a situation where these same parents or grandparents at 16 or 18 or 22 will point them back when they're having a, a, a period of uh, spiritual doubt and say, well, you remember when you were baptized when you were six or when you were eight or when you were whatever, when they were the ones in the first place pressuring them for it. And so the only other thing I would say about that at this point is um, while personal faith and repentance is the issue that I'm, that I'm looking for, I'm also looking for the personal desire to follow Christ in obedience, especially with kids, but also with adults. I don't want the person going to the baptistry. In fact, just this past uh, month or two ago, had a probably 22-year-old that had been baptized in the, into the Catholic Church, had later truly put his faith and trust in Christ, is wrestling with this issue of, do I need to be baptized biblically? We had talked about all the theological elements of that and why I felt like it was important for him to follow in believer's baptism. But I said to him, look, 
We've talked about the biblical implications of all of this, but at the end of the day, this must for you be an act of obedience that you believe based on the scripture and the Holy Spirit's testimony to you through his word, that, that this is an act of obedience that you must follow in obedience to Christ. And I want that to be the impetus for you walking in this, not just because the pastor said you should. Let, let me add some layers of complexity. You brought out some of these already. And you can hop in at any point. I just, in this session, would like us to address some of these. We've talked about children. How young's too young, perhaps, is something that still needs to be answered. People coming from other backgrounds. Roman Catholic, which is often a little more distinct. But, but what about Methodists? What about someone who has been baptized by non-immersion, by some other mode of baptism, and they now want to join the Baptist church. Um, and so they've been sprinkled, and they want to come join. Um, and then I also think we need to address issues like, the part of the complexity for me has always been the connection, and Dr. Harper, maybe you can shed light on this too, the connection between baptism and local church membership. The way you become a member of the local Baptist church often is when you're baptized. And so if you baptize a six-year-old, that six-year-old is now a full-blown voting member of the church as well. And, and so you have these, these layers sometimes contextually uh, of, of issue. So, so any one of those that we want to jump in on as well as we need to think in terms of not only the, the, the child, but those who are perhaps emotionally, uh, mentally in some ways, um, suffering from some disability in their life, uh, some special need in their life, and uh, they might be chronologically older, but their mind might still be that of a, of a child. Uh, and over the years, that has certainly... I, I had the privilege of pastoring a church in Arizona that had the largest adult special needs ministry in the Southwest. And so not only did we have special needs children, we had special need adults in our church in some number. And uh, this was a constant discussion for us. So, so any one of those church membership connections, children, how young special needs, other denominations, I'll try to make sure we tie this together before we're done. But as we layer, Dr. Quarles, you want to make any comment? Uh, sure. I'd love to. Uh, it's an important topic to me, uh, partly because of my own experience. Uh, I walked down the aisle and made some kind of confession when I was five years old and was baptized at that age soon afterwards. Uh, and wrestled with the validity of that baptism for years, uh, trying to remember what did I understand, what did I actually believe, uh, and really found no peace about that. Uh, I would not dare say that the gospel was not explained to me properly as a five-year-old, but I am confident now that I didn't believe the true gospel at that age myself. Uh, I think that the true gospel at its very core, demands that a person trust Jesus Christ as God, as Savior, and as King. Uh, we have to recognize that He is deity incarnate, God in the flesh. We must believe that it's His atoning death that provides forgiveness, and we must submit to His authority as King over our lives. And if those three elements aren't present in a person's confession of faith, uh, that's not true conversion, and thus baptism would not be true biblical baptism. 
I believe in that so strongly that I did a scandalous thing at about the age of 30. And after having been a pastor for 10 years and a Bible college professor for two, I requested believers' baptism in a local Baptist fellowship. Really baffled a lot of people. They thought that I was having some kind of psychological crisis or something like that. Uh, but frankly, I think I was seeing things more clearly than I ever had before uh, and have absolutely no regrets about that radical step. So when I sit down with a person and say, if your baptism didn't have the proper uh, subject, you weren't a believer in Jesus Christ as God's Savior and King, didn't have the proper mode, didn't have the proper meaning, you need to be baptized. I'm not asking anything of them that I didn't joyfully do myself when things became clear. Let me talk just a little bit about baptism having the proper meaning because I think that some of our brethren are erring at this point, and it frightens me. Uh, I don't think that we have to understand everything about baptism in order for baptism to be valid. But if we are viewing baptism as a sacrament, as a ritual that somehow saves or contributes to our salvation, I would say that was not valid baptism because that is actually faith in a false gospel, a very, very dangerous thing. Uh, the Apostle Paul is clear in Galatians, if we had anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ to attain salvation. We believed a false gospel that's no gospel at all and we are under God's curse. It's very, very strong language. So I would say that if we come from a background that has given us a sacramental understanding of baptism, that's not proper biblical baptism and true baptism then needs to be accepted. Let me just make a couple of comments, and some of these are very practical, and some of these might sound kind of odd even to some of you listening to this. I actually think it's helpful as a new pastor, and my counsel to a new pastor would be to talk to your church about this, to make sure that in your actual written policies, uh, whether it be your church covenant for membership, whether I'm not, constitution and bylaws seems, they're just so hard to change. I prefer a policy and procedure manual it's an easier document to adjust. But to actually have a, a policy about baptism in writing uh, to help you as a pastor so that you can, can, can have a place that you can officially show someone uh, and that people can read coming in, this is our view of baptism. This is who we won't baptize. You're, you know, you, you're not going to trap us into baptizing your grandchild or something. I think it's helpful to get that in writing. I think the process of doing that is a teaching moment as well. The other thing I'd say is with children, because I, we had the privilege of pastoring churches, had large youth ministries and children's ministries, and we dealt with this a lot. The eight-year-old who then at 18 is wondering about what happened when they were eight. And many of these kids had grown up in the church, been discipled well, which was often part of the issue. you know. But part of this also, you need to understand developmental issues. A child's brain is different. A child thinks in abstract, concrete, black and white issues. Obedience, sin, lordship have very different meanings to a child than they do for even an adolescent and an adult. Uh, during adolescence, the brain physically grows three times in size. They, teenagers lose their minds um, between hormone, hormonal issues and physiological development. They literally have a new brain when they're done. 
so concepts of lordship and sin take on a whole new meaning. So I would watch a kid who made a decision at eight and then at 18, you know, sin and lordship and obedience had a very different meaning for them. Now, were they really saved at eight or not? Do, you know, at 18, when they have a different, more complete understanding of salvation, then they say, I, w- I really want to be baptized now because I have this understanding of this in a different way. You know, am I rebaptizing someone or am I baptizing someone honestly for the first time? Well, practically, here's my response good, bad, take it, leave it, disagree or not. If I, if I need to draw a line in the sand for this young adult, for them to say, I know at this moment on that I was saved and that I understood baptism and that this is really a meaningful time for me to testify of my Lord to the world, I'm going to baptize you. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I'm going to help you nail this down. Uh, some people would come and there was very little question about they didn't understand back here. And then others, they really were struggling and their mothers and fathers were struggling, they, you know, because they were in a good Christian home that did disciple well, but still even then they struggled. So if we need to nail this down by getting into the water again and testifying before the church, and we would testify that story before the church to say this person was baptized back then and, and now they, uh, but they didn't understand. And so just be honest about it. Help people be sure about it. Uh, baptism doesn't save you, but if that helps them in their testimony of obedience to say, this is who Christ really is to me and this is what's happened to me. Then I hold the ground to say, now don't come back to me in a year and don't come back to me, you know, every other six months, every time you sin, you don't need to be baptized again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, and I walked through that with people too over the years. So just a couple of practical thoughts. Any closing comments about any of this before we close this session? Because of my experience, the whole issue of childhood conversion has been really important to me for years. And uh, as I wrestled with this as a pastor, I ended up writing a little pamphlet on how to explain the gospel to kids that I used to help parents communicate gospel truths to their children and Sunday school teachers and VBS workers and so forth. I don't think it's perfect. I think that uh, I can probably improve it with input from people who will watch a video like this, Uh, but I'd be happy to make that available online. One of the things that concerns me is sometimes we have a tendency to imply that there is a gospel for children and there's a gospel for adults. And so when we're doing childhood evangelism, we might be willing to skimp on things like the deity of Christ or depending on Him rather than your own good works for salvation, things like that. No, there is one gospel and only one gospel that saves. And without belief in the irreducible essentials of that gospel, there is no salvation uh, whether they're uh, eight years old or 88 years old. So I think that we've got to find ways to communicate those irreducible essentials of the gospel to children clearly uh, and in a way that they can comprehend. One of the things I like about what Dr. Harper said a minute ago is that when he was approached by a child to consider whether or not he would baptize them, he did two things. Testing and testimony. Uh, First of all, he tested. Why do you want to be baptized? And he probed their motive. But if he found out they were improperly motivated, he didn't 
shut off the discussion and push them away saying, quote, you're not ready for baptism, he went on to offer testimony and articulate the essentials of the gospel. I love that approach because those are great evangelistic opportunities. And I think sometimes we view conversations like that as merely a hoop for a child to jump through, and if they don't pass the litmus test, no, you're not ready. Uh, ooh, what a tragic loss of opportunity. Yeah, yeah and you know, to just follow up on that, um, yeah, because I appreciate the, the little booklet he was talking about. Um, I'm actually looking for a new resource. There used to be one that we used from Child Evangelism Fellowship called the Discover Book. It was a good resource, um, but they don't print it anymore. Um, the other thing that I would tie on to is what Dr. Harper said a bit ago when he talked about one, yes, an interview with the child and, 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 and only the child where there's not outside influence from the parent. Uh, and yet at the same time, he said, then I go back and talk to the parent also. Um, and, and so that's kind of been our practice is, you know, and, and it even ties into what you were saying a moment ago about this issue of rebaptism and later professions of faith. I think if we do a better job early, then we can at least minimize that. We can't eradicate it, I don't think, but we can at least minimize that issue by doing a good job on the front end. And so while, you know, when a child first makes a profession of faith, one of the first things that we do, rather than even having an interview that would lead to an immediate baptism, we have an initial interview to just sort of see what is the child's level of understanding about salvation first. Then we provide a resource to the parents and say, we want you to take some time to work through this resource that helps your child understand salvation, baptism, these kinds of things. And then after you've completed it together, then I want you to uh, call us, let us know you're done, and let's get together and talk again. Um, it, it gives an automatic buffer of time in one sense. It, it, is a, it gives a teaching element where you're, again, equipping the parents to help walk through this with the child. Um, but then also then you can come back afterwards and see, you know, all right, what is the level of understanding? Then if they come to that place where they still don't get it, they're not ready yet, and you've got these additional teaching opportunities, then one of the, one of the phrases that I heard uh, a professor use years ago that I thought was, was really helpful uh, in just instead, of, instead of saying, this child's not ready, right, which could be deflating both to the parent and the child and this sort of thing, one of the things that I might say to a parent is, you know, it's very evident to me that this child is taking steps toward Christ. They're, they're growing in their understanding and, you know, in this sort of thing. And so let's celebrate that. And then let's continue to walk with them and, and, and teach them and, and, and then watch what the Spirit of God is doing to see, you know, um, where he brings them to in this process. If they're not at a place where I'm really, you know, confident to say, yes, let's move forward with, you know, believer's baptism right now. Sure. Well, thank you all. We need to bring this session to an end. We've gone over the time we... We planned, but this has been a good discussion. We're going to continue this in the third session where we talk about baptism itself, the act of baptism, a very practical discussion, and we need to really discuss who can baptize, when they can baptize, where they can baptize, those kinds of ideas, and also how do we baptize, just some practical elements. Uh, you talked about testimony. One of the things that we'll try to have on the website for you, we'll try to get Dr. Coral's pamphlet available to you. And then I'm also going to give you a baptismal testimony outline that I've used. I'll talk about that more in the next session. But in the pre-baptismal session, we actually have them write out their testimony for the baptism event, uh, which not only helps them articulate their salvation, but also gives them words that we're going to share during the actual baptism event. And we'll talk more about that in the next session. So join us for that session three. You won't want to miss that very practical 
come back and join us.